0: Good morning, very happy uh, post-Thanksgiving to you all. We're going to be diving into our Advent series next week. But today we get to linger and pause just a a wee bit longer in this Thanksgiving season. Uh, It's particularly good today because it's sort of a downcast day. I woke up, it's cold outside, and days like this usually make me ungrateful and not thankful. Uh, But today I am thankful uh, that we get to hear the gospel which is like a warm blanket for my soul. I need to be warmed up by God's love. If you know a little bit about the history of Thanksgiving, then you know it started back with the Puritans and the pilgrims. They would often set aside days for celebration. They would give thanks, days for prayer. Whenever they had good news to celebrate, they would celebrate. They'd go big. And when there was bad news, they would hold days of fasting and days of mourning and days of prayer. You see, they had experienced tremendous loss during the voyage of the Mayflower. I believe, I think the numbers were like over 50% of the people who came on the Mayflower died within that first year. Just tremendous loss in that first year of landing. And then, of course, they had a brutal winter. And so finally, they were able to celebrate that first Plymouth harvest together with a thanksgiving feast. There were people with much to grieve about. And yet they set apart a day to celebrate and give thanks to their God. They weren't, of course, trying to start a holiday. They didn't think, hey, people will be doing this years from now. But it was made into one by George Washington, who later announced a Thanksgiving proclamation to God, that we should give thanks to the Lord for many, many things. I would encourage you to go read it. It's really fantastic. But that didn't stick. It didn't stick until Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, reinstated Washington's earlier declaration once and for all and said, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to make this a thing. We're going to have an annual time of giving thanks. And so just like the Puritans, here we are. We gather annually to celebrate and give thanks to the Lord for all of his grace and his mercy. But for the Christian, of course, an attitude of gratitude and thanks is to be exhibited all year round, not just one day a year. This is sort of how we come 52 weeks out of the year and we celebrate the resurrection. And just one of those weeks happens to fall on Easter. Right Easter Sunday. Every week we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. Every day is truly a day of Thanksgiving for the believer who has been elected, who's been called, who's been redeemed, who's been born again, justified, adopted, and is actively being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ, our Savior. Last uh, Sunday, I had the enormous privilege. I t- got the tag team a wedding with Ron down here. It was wonderful. We tagged back and forth, and we did the wedding of Alan and Olivia young. And weddings are just a blast. They're just so much fun. There's good food, there's people happy, everyone's smiling, we're having a good time. Joy, mirth, celebration. Beautiful. And of course, if you're like me, if you are married, then you sit there and you think about your own uh, pre-marriage or your own uh, wedded bliss. And 10 years ago now, I was dating this cute girl named Ashley, and it didn't take long for me to realize that the times I was with her were better than the times when I wasn't with her. And so I did the only logical thing. I asked her to marry me. And I did it 10 years ago on Thanksgiving Day, believe it or not. On Thanksgiving Day, spoiler alert, she said yes, if you didn't know. So 10 years ago, I asked my wife to marry me. And the reason I picked Thanksgiving Day was because I didn't want the feast to end. I wanted that Thanksgiving day to start an endless, continual Thanksgiving in my life. And every day since, with my wife, I've been riding a trip to Fan High. One trip to Fan High after another, right? She, <laughs> not that she puts me to sleep, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been wonderful. It's truly an, a Thanksgiving feast every single day. Now, this is true of marriage. Kids are a blessing, a great job, great friends, great family, great food, great pets, These can all bring great joy to our life. But ultimately, all of this, we know, is a shadow. It's a shadow of the eternal Thanksgiving feast that we can experience by knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We can experience now a foretaste of that heavenly eternal feast by feeding our hearts from the Lord's table. Our passage today is going to talk about this. It comes from King Solomon, uh, a guy who was no stranger to feasting who was no stranger to giving thanks to the Lord. It's going to be found in Proverbs 15, 13 through 17. I'm going to encourage you to uh, read along with us. It's going, to be, it's going to be the menu for us today for the king's table. If you want to experience a continual feast in your life, a life of thanksgiving, a life of gratitude, then we have to come hungry. We need to learn how to feast. We need to have cheerful hearts that are hungry for God. So let's read together. Starting in verse 13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred. With it, So what we have today, I'm going to present to you, really, a three-course meal for giving thanks to God. And these three courses, because I'm so clever, are going to be our three points, all right? So if you're a note-taker, here we go. The first course in this meal is the appetizer of Christ's grace. The second course is going to be a heaping, helping plate of Christ's wisdom. And the third course is going to be the dessert of Christ's love, starting in verse 13. A glad heart makes a tearful face, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. Earlier this year, I read this biography. I've been reading a lot of G.K. Chesterton, if you're familiar with G.K. Chesterton. He was a author, a theologian, a poet, a critic, a mustachioed jack-of-all-trades. I mean, he did it all. And he was known for his writing. And I was reading this biography about him, and it was interesting to read that one of the things that, that was instrumental in G.K. Chesterton's conversion was this overwhelming feeling that he needed to thank somebody. He needed to thank someone, and he didn't know who to thank. But he was thankful for everything. He, had, he said that this attitude of thankfulness continued to permeate the rest of his Christian life. And he said the critical thing about being a Christian is either taking God's gifts for granted, or taking them with gratitude. Do we take God's gifts for granted, or we take them with gratitude, He once wrote this. He said, you say grace before meals. All right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Good for you. You say grace before meals. Good for you. I say it before everything. He also famously wrote the worst moment for an atheist is when he's really thankful and has no one to thank. That's the worst moment when you're thankful and you have nobody to thank. The singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson, another guy I love, he wrote this song called Don't You Want to Thank Someone. And the lyrics say this, don't you ever wonder why in spite of all that's wrong here, there's still so much that goes so right and beauty abounds. Because sometimes when you walk outside, the air is full of song here. The thunder rolls and the baby sighs and the rain comes down. And when you see the spring has come and it warms you like a mother's kiss, don't you want to thank someone? Don't you want to thank someone for this? All this thankfulness from God strikes at our heart, which in turn should affect our face. A glad heart, despite all that goes wrong here, will find something to give thanks for, and all for that thanks is worship back to God. But you see, what Solomon has in mind here is not some sort of carnal... Worldly mirth or worldly happiness—it's a spiritual joy that can only come about by knowing God's grace. This is the cheerful face of Paul in Philippians four eleven through thirteen. Many of you will know this verse. He says, "I'm not saying this because I'm in need; for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want." I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do it through the grace of God. So what's the key for Chesterton, for Peterson, for Paul? Well, the key is that they feasted. They feasted on the appetizer of God's grace, and it made them hungry for more. They've tasted, they've seen that the Lord is good, and nothing but the Lord can now satisfy their hunger. So they say, thank you, sir. May I have some more? I think of the classic scene. You've seen the scene from Oliver Twist. And little Oliver has his little bowl, and he's being goaded to go up and get some more. He wants some more, and the whole room goes silent. And Oliver Twist walks up with his bowl, and he goes, Please, sir, may I have some more? You know, and the, the big guy looks at him and goes, More? You want some more? And, and there are many Christians who are like Oliver Twist who are fearful to approach the throne of grace. What will God say? More? You want more? Haven't I already given you enough? But those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good say, yes, Lord. More. More. I need more. I need thee. Every hour I've tasted, I hunger, I thirst for righteousness, for grace upon grace upon grace. The promises of God in Christ are yes, and I want more. And when we come before the Lord with thankful, hungry hearts, he's promised to fill the bowls to overflowing. Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So Christian, sweet Christian, be not downcast. Look up with confidence into the face of your father. Hold your bowl high and say more, more. Come, feast. Come all who are thirsty to the waters. You who have no money, come by and eat. Again, this cheerful heart is not a grin and bear it type of attitude. Uh, I don't want you to be Eeyore Christians, but I also don't want you to be fake, shiny, happy people Christians. The final verse of 13 here, the final part says this, but by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. And it's often the case for myself that I can have 500 things in one day go right. And the one thing that goes wrong is what keeps me up at night. I will focus on that one thing that went wrong all day long, and that one thing, because I'm focusing on the negative and not the positive, will ruin my whole day. Again, looking at the Puritans, during times of hardship, they fasted and they prayed. And so this should teach us there's a season for everything, a time to celebrate, a time to weep. So don't take this as, I just, you know what? I just need to be happy all the time. I need to smile though my heart is breaking, right? Smile though my heart is breaking. That's not what I'm saying. There are times for the Christian of of fasting and for mourning and for weeping. We're called to rest in those times, to rest in Christ's arms and to weep and to pray, Jesus, prepare the feast in the midst of this trial. Prepare the feast in the midst of what I'm suffering with. A couple months ago, my wife and I, we had someone who we knew, um, who we saw all the time commit suicide. And if you had asked me, I would have said the classic things. I would have said, no, she, she was always smiling, she was always happy, everything was fine. There was no signs of that. And so I really want to drive this home. I don't want anyone to suffer in silence. I, I don't want anybody to smile in the public and go home and soak your pillow in tears. Part of having a feasting heart, as we are about to see, involves the company you keep. And so here we are as brothers and sisters today, talk with someone. Anyone, don't suffer alone. Whatever your pain may may be, whatever you're feeling, we love each other. Come together with your sorrows. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to have grief. You don't have to feast all the time. You don't have to celebrate all the time. The final thing I'll mention here is in regards to that word cheerful. Uh, At the beginning of verse 13, if you read John Fox's Book of Martyrs, he often refers to the joyful, cheerful martyrs. And, and you read that and you think, well, that's sort of an oxymoron. How can, how can they be cheerful martyrs? But again, this is the supernatural contentment of God. The supernatural feasting heart that finds joy in the face of death, peace, understanding, hope. We're not fakers, we're feasters. So whether it's a season of fasting or feasting, we want to give thanks to the Lord in all things. Now, the second course is a plate of Christ's wisdom. This is verses 14 through 15. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. In Budapest, there was a man who went to his rabbi to complain. He said, life is unbearable. There are nine of us living in one room. What can I do? Well, the rabbi answered. He said, it's simple. Take your goat into the room with you. Well, the man was furious, but the rabbi insisted, do as I say and come back in a week. Take the goat in the room. A week later, the man comes back looking more distraught than before. We can't stand it. He tells the rabbi, the goat is filthy. The goat bites us. We can't live with this goat. The rabbi says, go home. Let the goat out. Come back in a week. The radiant man returns to the rabbi a week later. He's exclaiming, Life is beautiful. We enjoy every minute of it now that there's no goat, just the nine of us. (laughs) You see, the fool says in his heart, My life is a mess. It must be the house. My life is a mess. It must be the goat. But the problem with the man was not the family, it wasn't the house, it wasn't the goat. It's his own heart, his own ungrateful, unthankful heart. The author and minister, George MacDonald, he wrote this. He said, The careless soul receives the Father's gifts as if it were a way things had of just dropping into his hand. Yet he is ever complaining as if someone else were accountable for the problems which meet him at every turn. For the good that comes to him, he gives no thanks. Who is there to thank? At the disappointments that befall him, he grumbles. There must be someone to blame. Not someone to thank. There must be someone to blame. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no fear of God before him. And if he did meet God, he would seek to blame him for his life's problems. Well, you made me like this, God. He feeds not on wisdom, but on folly. His table is filled with junk food. He returns like the dog returns to his vomit. The fool does not seek out understanding. Instead, he's driven by his belly's carnal desires. All there is in this life is pain and toil. So eat, drink, be merry, and tomorrow we die. I'm sure you know people like this. Maybe such were some of you. The fool is someone who thinks they have it all figured out, and yet their life is miserable. In and out of relationships, constantly burning bridges with friends and coworkers, in and out of jobs, constantly uh, uh, slave to addictions. None of this is, of course, their problem because it's always the goat's fault. And if they could just get rid of the goat, whatever the goat is in their life, then they'd be truly happy. Then they'd be problem-free. It's a nonsensical worldview. It doesn't work. And it breaks my heart when I hear people talk like this because they have no hope, they have no truth, and they need grace. Contrast this now with the wise heart, the heart of him who has understanding. It says he doesn't wait for knowledge to fall in his lap. He seeks it out. He's having, having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That heart wants more. So they read all about God. They listen to podcasts. They go to small groups. They take up Bible reading plans. They're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And I bet all of you in this room at one point when you first came to know Christ, you felt like this. You had the zeal of being hungry and thirsty. You, wanted, you were devouring everything you could find about the Lord. Now you want that wisdom to trickle down to your heart. You want to have a feasting heart that's insatiable. You want more of the Lord's good things. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Well, we know sin ultimately leads to death. But the cheerful heart, the one that has learned contentment in both famine and feast is continually full. It's, it's continually filled with endless thanksgiving, with contentment. This is a cheerful heart of gratitude, a heart of wisdom, and it sees all of life as a gift. Everything we have from the Lord is a gift. All of grace is a gift. This is a heart that respects God, honors God, and worships him. It's the heart of Job. Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though I'm in deep grief and mourning... I will find contentment in Christ. Final course. This is the sweet dessert of Christ's love. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is better is a little as a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. There's an author this guy named Leo Buscaglia and he tells a story about his mother and their misery dinner. And it was the night after his father came home and it said that it looked like he was going to go bankrupt. His partner had absconded with his firm's money, and his mother went out and sold some of her jewelry, and she bought a lot of food for a sumptuous feast, and the other members of the family scolded her for it, but she told them this. She said, the time for joy is now when we need it most, not next week. You see, her courageous act rallied the family, and this mother's act of love seemed foolish at the time, but in hindsight, it was the wisest action anyone could take they needed love they needed grace they needed hope they needed joy they needed peace then not later on they needed it right then and there and in our weakest and darkest hours of the soul better will be a little very little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble later on I've said this before many people have said it if all you have in this life is Jesus Christ then you're the richest of all people Better is a vegetarian Thanksgiving. Even that sentence makes me want to throw up. (laughs) Better is a vegetarian Thanksgiving at a poor man's dinner with herbs than a big, fat, juicy ham or turkey with hatred at the table. The heart's feasting is not always about the quality of the feasts. A little is better with wisdom, with love, than a lot with hatred. How does the song go? You know the song? And even though we ain't got money, I'm so in love with you, honey. And everything will bring a chain of love. And in the morning when I rise, you bring a tear of joy to my eyes and tell me everything's going to be all right. So we give thanks. Whether you have much, whether you have very little. And God looks at you and says, everything's going to be all right. I'm in charge. It's my feast. It's my kingdom. Everything's going to be all right. Do not be anxious about anything. 1 Peter 4.8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter had a uh, very personal experience, we could say, with Christ's love in response to his own sin. He knew the sweetness of God's love. He knew the bitterness of his own battles. And he experienced great forgiveness during his life. So as we seek to live these grateful, thankful lives of worship, we have to put on love. We have to put on love and forgiveness. We must forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. We must love others as Christ has forgiven us and loved us. And when we're focused, we're living intentional lives, God-honoring lives, our relationships with others will have a continual feast. We'll have a, a heart of feasts. You see, what, what it means to cover sin is this. It, it looks like loving the person the way Christ loved us. It means humbling yourself, casting off pride, and bearing the hurt of And cost of forgiveness. When we willingly forgive, as opposed to holding grudges or bringing up past sins to be used against others, we're showing grace. When we come, when we cover sin with love, is when we refuse to take part in the negative and destructive habits of gossip, backtalk, insults. This is not what Jesus would do. So we want the love, the love of Christ, to shine in our hearts. Well, I told you today there was three courses. Uh, You know, after every every meal, what comes next? The bill. (laughs) What was the cost of this? The cost that we could have grace, and the cost that we could have wisdom, and the cost that we could have endless love. Well, it was nothing less, of course, than the life of our Lord. In order for us to ever be able to taste and see, Jesus had to first remove the sting of death. He had to absorb God's wrath on the cross in our place, so that we might come with heads held high to the Father and say, more, more, Father. And so the appetizer of grace gets the Christian salivating. Jesus, I want you more. I want to know you. I want to feast. Fill up my bowl. What about the second course of Christ's wisdom? The feasting heart listens to James 1.5. It says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. So the plate is full. And the Christian who desires wisdom should simply pray and say, Lord, give me eating utensils. I see the plate. I want to feast. I don't know how. I need wisdom. Give it to me. Give me the tools that I need. Help me to put off foolishness. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. I I rejoice. I want to be thankful for the little wisdom that I have. But Lord, I'm hungry for more. To thank the Father that He's given us eyes to see and ears to hear at all. This is the wisdom that Jesus Christ gives us—the the wisdom to see Jesus as beautiful. It's a gift. The final dessert is Christ's love. What was the cost? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans five eight. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Do you want to don't you want to thank someone? <laughs> Does that make you thankful? Does that make you anxious to give thanks? All that you have in this life is a gift. Your salvation's unmerited gift of grace. The great exchange of Christ's righteousness for your filthy rags. Lord, we are thankful. So whether you live in famine or in feast, we give God worship with cheerful hearts, with faces, with attitudes, not false faces, contented hearts. Hearts that rest in God's grace in His wisdom and His perfect love. I'm going to leave you with a quote from uh, an American humorist, this woman named Irma Bombeck. She wrote this An estimated 1.5 million people are living today after bouts with breast cancer. Every time I forget to feel grateful to be among them, I hear the voice of an eight year old girl named Christina who had cancer of the nervous system. When asked what she wanted for her birthday, she thought long and hard and finally said, I don't know. I have two sticker books and a Cabbage Patch doll. I have everything. She says, the kid is right. Are we beyond blessed? We have sticker books. We have Cabbage Patch dolls. And to top it all off, we have the eternal love of our creator, Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who's with us to the end of the age, may our hearts feast forever.